Well, I think we'd all agree that data is a word that we keep hearing more and more about, whether it be small data or big data. What does it mean and what does it do to help us have a more meaningful relationship with our patients in developing our roles around clinical and professional services? Well, our guest this week, Debbie Rigby, one of Australia's foremost experts in clinical pharmacy, shares with us what data we should be looking at and what smart decision-making tools we need to be able to progress successfully to this role, not only now, but well into the future. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day everyone and welcome back to Transformation, the only dedicated podcast in the world where pharmacy and technology collide to bring you, the motivated pharmacy owner, all that you need to build your smarter, more successful 21st century business before it's too late. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, all the way through to episode 79. Big show today. As you've heard in our intro, we have our esteemed colleague, Debbie Rigby, for our non-Australian listeners. She's one of Australia's most recognised clinical pharmacists and a pioneer as being one of the first Australian pharmacists to work inside a GP clinic alongside our medical and allied health colleagues. Great insights she has to share with us today, but more on that later. We'll have time for a quick check-in with you. I'm going to share with you how you can earn one Group 2 CPD point. And uh, I'm going to share with you another pharmacy freedom insight um, around some of the visits I've had with colleagues like you this week on team communication and also an exclusive listener offer. Before we jump in, just a quick reminder, we've got our Transformation Masterclass tomorrow, which is Friday, uh, September 4th. So you may be listening to this before we go live at lunchtime. And you can jump on that by going to robertstar.com forward slash category builder webinar. And of course, it's with our colleague, Hilary Khan, who's going to be sharing us how we can customize a retail category for our pharmacies. Absolutely fantastic. We're nearing capacity, so don't dilly-dally. Jump on if you'd love to be involved. And also, we're going to be able to share a replay with you if you don't happen to be able to make it at our lunchtime of 12 p.m. Australian Eastern Standard Time. Got a great response this week um, to an email I sent out only this morning um, to the members of the robertstar.com mailing list. Uh, absolutely fantastic. It was a very simple email because I often wonder sometimes that, you know, we are doing it tough in Australia at the moment. There's been so much change upon us, particularly in the last few years. And we often have little things that irk at us and sit on our shoulders. And we'd love sometimes, I know I love this myself, if someone asks you, what's your biggest problem and offers to try and help. So I sent an email out offering to help in any way I can, whether it's a big or small problem that's bothering you right now. And if I can't help you, I know that through our network of transformation experts, there will be someone who'll be able to help you. So if you did get that email and you haven't responded, I'm going to read and respond to every single one of them. So make sure you do that as well. How's your week been? Has it been a good one? Um, it's been a fantastic one for me. Um, 
A massive uh, thanks I need to send out to uh, Jenny Bergen and Patrick Reed from the Australian College of Pharmacy. I was really chuffed. Um, our, we put together a CPD business article, uh, which was around how to transform your pharmacy through smart technology. I know, surprise, surprise, hey. Um, but you can really take some great learnings from uh, the course we put together and uh, really learn it today and implement it tomorrow, which I know is their motto. So massive thanks to them. And uh, you'll be able to earn one Group 2 CPD point for completing that. And if you get the Australian Journal of Pharmacy, which most pharmacists do, uh, you'll be able to access that free of charge. And for our overseas listeners who are thinking, oh, I missed out, I'd love to be part of that, I'll probably be able to get a copy uh, to share on the robertstar.com blog um, in a couple of months' time. So stay tuned for that. Our um, Pharmacy Freedom Index Insight this week um, is on team communication. So across some of the visits I've had with colleagues like you in the last three weeks, uh, a very common theme rung out again. I know last week we spoke about some of the problems that are around some of the paper we accumulate and uh, there's a blog post I put together and the sequel to that will come out tomorrow um, around some of the solutions that you can take up in terms of getting your pharmacy paperless and across into efficient systems. But this one specifically was about our team and uh, if any of us can honestly sit there today and say we've got a fantastic team, they know everything about our business, they're always showing up knowing exactly what's going on, they're switched on, executing every strategy we need to be successful, I think you'd be the best pharmacy in Australia, if not the world. Um, we all have the same problems in that regard. And some of the problems that we noticed in the last few weeks was having team members that just simply don't read the notice board, communication books, newsletters, probably more on a regular basis. They probably do it at some point. But Everything that we do in our business on a daily, weekly, monthly basis all relies on our team being on the same page and uh, not being able to action those directions or strategies can be really costly and it really does detract from the great experience we're trying to create with our patients, in which case they can have a very variable experience depending on whether it's a full-time team member who's really switched on and up to date versus someone who's only working once a month who really has no idea what's going on. So we need to get that um, uniformity a lot more consistent. Um, and particularly one of the other key aspects that I know a number of colleagues I met with, particularly last week, was around the fact that we don't get enough feedback from our team. You know, sometimes it was referred to as trying to draw blood out from the stone from one of the colleagues I, me I mentioned. And uh, it's, it's something that, you know, I don't think could be truer in itself in that any feedback we do get from our team from time to time may just be really petty and it might relate to the state of the staff room or whether we've run out of tea or biscuits and things like that. And uh, it's not really constructive in terms of the business performance and the strategy. So it's really getting our team into a space where we can try to get that out from them in a more consistent and more constructive manner. And the other, the other concept we spoke a lot about was how we get our team together uh, when we want to meet face-to-face -face and the difficulty. Not, not so much the difficulty, the cost involved as well. We've got to deal with the minimum engagement hours, potentially a venue if you've got a large team or a network of stores, food, the time to schedule everyone to find an appropriate time. And then also some, some of the team members may have to drag their kids along if it's before before work or after school. So it's not a great environment and not conducive to uh, productivity and really deep set of learning. So to address that 
and some of the tips that I uh, laid down for some of our colleagues to look at, and we're going to start to implement these strategies in their business, are more around some of the basic things we can do. There were some really advanced um, team communication methods that our guest last week, Tristan White from the PhysioCo, shared, and the tool that they use, which is Yammer. Um, but I'm not going to talk about the advanced tools today because I think we just need to get the basics right. And the basics as so often as the tools that we talk about on this show are free or low cost. And so those tools I mentioned quite extensively in episodes three and eight, so I'm not gonna spend a whole lot of time on them today, but specifically what they do is they allow you to create a message in a way that works for you. So whether that's an audio message, a video message, whatever is able, whatever you're comfortable with, that's really what it comes down to. A podcast is really just a fancy word for a voice recording. So to talk into a phone really is the same as having one conversation with one team member, except everyone can listen to it and it multiplies out and it doesn't require your time to do it. And that was why I developed my keynote last year at PBN um, around 20-minute communication. And that's how it comes down to it. It's not about how long it actually takes for your team to actually consume the message. It's about how much of your time you need to invest in it. And again, as, as we spoke about, particularly in that presentation, it's not about going away from the face-to-face and becoming a very automated and computerized pharmacy, but it's complementing it because we know that we're not going to get always our, our part-time or casual team members to our team meetings, but they need to be aware of what's going on when they come into the pharmacy, particularly for pharmacists that only work the odd one, two, one, two shifts a month really important that they're on top of all of our professional service strategies and so much more as well. So be able to pick up all those links about how you can utilize those tools in episodes three and eight, which I'll share in the show notes at robertstar.com forward slash episode 79. But I did mention that we are going to have a listener exclusive offer today. And it's something I haven't ever launched before, but I'm only going to make it available to you guys, because I think this is really going to help us communicate more effectively with our team and embrace these tools really quickly and also get get effective results because you can utilize the strategies that I taught in this keynote presentation that I did at PBN last year. And so what the exclusive offer is, is to get a copy of the keynote a special workbook I've put together and a cheat sheet to really solidify some of the key messages and takeouts of how you can personalize that for your business. And also uh, some of the bonus links and trials of some of the products that are involved. And they're also discussed in episodes three and eight that I mentioned as well. Now I'm gonna be selling this and it's probably gonna be part of the transformation community that I have mentioned a lot of times on the show. We haven't launched it yet, but I will be selling it for $197 independently of the community. But for you as the Motivated Pharmacy Owner listeners, you can get this for just $49 today. So the great thing about about that is you'll also get a bonus one-on-one 30-minute team communication review session with me for free, for people only. I'm going to make, make some time available on some Friday afternoons to do this. If you review the show and uh, let me know that you've done that and you get that for free as well. So you get half an hour one-on-one with me to really solidify the learnings you've taken from that course. Plus you get all of the notes, the workbook, the cheat sheet, 
and the 90-minute uh, keynote and also a bonus webinar that I did straight after that conference uh, to really bring home some of the messages as well. So you can grab that at robertstar.com forward slash team communication and I'll put a link in the show notes there for you as well. This week's show is brought to you by Audible. So for you, the listeners of The Transformation Show, Audible is offering you a free audiobook download with a free 30-day trial to give you the opportunity to check out their service. I'm listening to David Allen's Getting Things Done at the moment, which you can download or another audiobook for free by trying audible.com. To download your free audiobook today, go across to audibletrial.com forward slash transformation. Of course, after listening to this show, again, audibletrial.com forward slash transformation for your free audiobook. We're going to head across to Debbie right now. I know you'll absolutely love it. You'll get a lot out of the insights that she shares. It's a great synergy between clinical and technology. I know you're going to love it. Our interview today is with Debbie Rigby. She's a pharmacist and has experience in almost every possible form of pharmacy beyond any guest we've had on the show to date. She's had experience in clinical, consultant, community pharmacy, involvement in government, peak organisations, and now also as a new role as a GP liaison pharmacist. She's a writer and contributor to a variety of pharmacy and healthcare publications and the co-founder of Farm Education Delivering education to pharmacists, medical and other allied health providers as well. And she wants to be known for being a passionate advocate of what pharmacists can contribute to patient care. Debbie Rigby, welcome to the Transformation Show. Thanks, Robert. Oh, look, great to have you, Debbie. And uh, I know we had a nice little chat in the virtual space through Twitter a number of weeks ago about, uh, you know, some of the biggest uh, pharmacy and technology uh, problems that are sitting in the industry. And I think when we talk about problems, we often more think about the opportunities that that, re- that, that presents. And, uh, you know, pharmacies, as we talk about a lot on this show, have so much data and so much information about our patients that we quite often don't tap and uh, deliver back to our patients as uh, as insights that are meaningful for them. So really looking forward to our chat this morning. And me too. Thanks, Robert. Uh, excellent. And, and Debbie, I think a lot of our listeners would be would certainly be aware of you and uh, your fantastic career in, in pharmacy. But I guess just to bring any of our listeners into the conversation, you know, why are you so passionate about pharmacy? And, uh, you know, aligned to some of the things we talk about on this show, why do you believe technology can play such a big part in pharmacy in the 21st century? Well, I've always wanted to be a pharmacist. I've been a pharmacist for 40 years now and I've seen a lot of changes in that time and a lot of progress. Um, But the thing that underpins it for me is the fact that we're there for patient care and uh, our knowledge, our distinctive knowledge of medicines, of pharmacotherapy, the stuff that we're taught at university is so powerful and no other health professional professional has that uh, that knowledge and the fact that we can also work across a whole uh, number of uh, different environments whether you're talking about community pharmacy hospital pharmacy um, you know there's many many roles that pharmacists uh, can play I currently also work uh, one day a week in a GP practice and that has really opened up my eyes to the value of data of patient notes in providing 
my care uh, and my contribution to the care of that patient. Hmm. And, and I guess there's so many different things we, we look at on a on a day-to-day basis, whether it be uh, dispensing history, uh, medical history, as you're probably getting in touch with in the, in the GP clinics as well, the, the patient history, and some of that exists in unstructured note form or even just in our own heads. I think uh, we've mentioned a number of times on the show, you know, our best pharmacists in the community pharmacies are these big warehouses of uh, ba- great patient information and uh, anecdotes that uh, we often share in the pharmacy but often that pharmacist because it's all siloed in their heads don't often get to share that with their team and therefore you know our patient interactions end up being quite variable. Absolutely I mean I think that that's one of the real values of community pharmacy is that personal touch and that's why patients or consumers come back to the one pharmacy because they are known, they have that conversation uh, with the pharmacist or uh, multiple pharmacists in the pharmacy. But I think the issue around data, and as as we move towards um, electronic health record and shared health records, the information or the data that's stored in pharmacy software, in my mind, is really just transaction data. And it's there for the purposes of getting a claim from the pharmaceutical benefits uh, scheme. So I think very strongly that we need to move beyond that. Uh, Yes, that's valuable and we do end up with a good history of dispensing. But uh, as more and more drugs become uh, down-scheduled, so down to pharmacist only or pharmacy only, we're not necessarily not necessarily recording that in the patient uh, notes. So I strongly believe it needs to move, uh, our pharmacy software needs to move from being a transaction record to being a true patient record. And only when we start doing that will we actually have that valuable information to take responsibility for uh, the advice and the care of patients rather than just the technical role of dispensing a medicine from a script that's been written by a, by a prescriber. Mm. Yeah, and, and I guess when we think about the, the systems that we have and, uh, you know, as, as you quite rightly point out, are really designed for, you know, compliance and record keeping and financial claiming and, uh, you know, haven't really recognised, I guess, the, the clinical roles that we play in pharmacy and with the evolving professional services, it's only going to, you know, I guess, snowball as, as we go about it. And I know that um, in previous episodes of the show, we spoke with uh, Peter Ferros in episode 31 about the evolution of computerization in pharmacy mm. and that we went away from the uh, the prescription books and cards uh, to actually having these fantastic uh, histories of medication that we were we were uh, supplying to me- to patients on one page which was seen as an evolutionary step in the 1980s but in reality we probably haven't progressed much further with that uh, in the last uh, well 30 odd years yeah, I agree. I mean, when I first started, when I first graduated, uh, we did use the big prescription books, but the uh, pharmacy I was working in in my pre-reg year was one of the first that actually got uh, computers, and it was the old DOS-based blue screen uh, computers where you, um, you know, was a re- record of the uh, uh, dispensing. But uh, And I think you're correct. We haven't moved a long way from it. Yes, it's got a lot more sophisticated, 
but it's still just a record of the transaction of dispensing. And we don't record patient details, you know, even their date of birth, which is a unique identifier and obviously critical uh, at all age groups, you know, but especially for children, we need mm-hmm. to have that information. We might ask the patient um, uh, their date of birth and how old's the child and how much does he weigh, but we haven't got that recorded. Um, so I just don't think we're... Uh, and if you look at any other uh, health provider, with you know, allied health, physios, OTs, speech therapists, they all, during the transaction uh, or the conversation uh, with the patient, they write down information uh, an assessment, uh, their advice and whatever they've contributed to the patient care. But we don't do that. So we're forever on the back pedal trying to uh, legitimise our role as a healthcare provider and yet we're seen by so many, including consumers, as a, as a shopkeeper um, primarily. And probably a glorified one at that too. Oh, well, yeah. And, and I guess, you know, it, it comes also down to, you know, what we've seen probably in pharmacy evolve is uh, medication management has been a, a great role for community pharmacies as well. We've seen separate systems designed around that that sit in yep. silo from our existing dispense systems and POS systems. And, uh, you know, now that we've seen their professional services, we've got another arm of uh, software that we have have to maintain so you know it looks like we're we're making do where possible but there's really very little transparency and integration between all of those systems yeah i think that's exactly right i mean uh, i do a lot of home medicines reviews i've done them uh, for community pharmacies and now i have direct referral from a gp and quite often the community pharmacy doesn't record uh, doesn't store uh, my report. They don't record the follow-up that is quite often needed from a home medicine review, such as uh, uh, checking the patient's inhaler technique for their asthma devices, which we know needs to be uh, checked and assessed uh, at every opportunity, not once a year or once a decade. So, you know, we do need to uh, better integrate these um services or the care and I I really use those words as separate because um, uh, I think that's part of the transformation of uh, pharmacy. Are we providing services or are we a contributor to the patient care? And I think community community pharmacies are still stuck uh, providing services and not understanding the difference uh, between providing care. And I the level of uh, our software, uh, I think, reflects exactly that. And I guess sometimes when we reflect on, you know, what our colleagues in allied health or medical or nursing would do when they're having consultations with patients, um, <clears throat> the, the distinct difference there is the amount of time uh, that they spend with patients. And, uh, you know, when we, when we really hammer down and look at the amount of time we actually spend with patients, we're trying to limit it as much as possible because it's seen as a way of making the pharmacy more efficient. But, you know, 
you know, as we've seen over the past, you know, 10 to 15 years, um, it, it really just does drive a single role of that pharmacy as a supply point um, and not a supplier or a, an advisor of, of um, health, primary health care. So it may well be that, you know, and we talk a lot about on the show of how we can reduce the amount of time that it takes to put all of the logistic information and, and process in place, whether it be putting away your stock through automation tools and selecting products through automation to free up that time. But at the same time, we don't have the systems that even if we have the time to invest in that conversation with our patients of where we actually catalogue that and record it and more importantly, action, make it actionable to follow up with our patients in the future. Absolutely. And I think it's that continuity is a really important point. Um, you know, allied health uh, as well as GPs, they'll, when the patient presents to them, uh, at that point in time, they can very quickly look back at previous uh, consultations, uh, test results, etc. And, you know, there's a lot of discussion and intergener- intergenerational report, etc., talking about uh, the ageing population and the burden of chronic disease. There was a report that came out just this week and it talked about half of the, all Australians have at least one chronic disease and around about 20% have at least two chronic diseases. And when you're talking about an older population, you know, they've got two or more up to, uh, you know, multiple eight, eight chronic diseases. And they're chronic diseases that pharmacists see every day in their pharmacy, that we have a whole uh, arm and, uh, you know, over-the-counter drugs that we can ha- also provide to that patient care, as well as home health things and, and dose administration aids to cope with the, the polypharmacy and rational polypharmacy that does exist when people have multiple chronic diseases. So there's a real opportunity for pharmacists to contribute to that management and the complexity of people living and living longer with multiple chronic diseases. Mm. And, and and sometimes it takes the pharmacist to actually step back a little bit further and look beyond the supply, look at, you know, one of my favourite examples is the diabetic patient and that uh, there's so much we can do to aid in prevention of diabetes, those that are in the pre-diabetic state and what we can do to help them recognise the symptoms and signs. But not only once they're diagnosed, there's so many additional services and products and supporting um, consultations and information that we could be sharing with them to you know better arm them to manage that journey um you know without as many hazards as they perhaps would otherwise and that we transition from you know being simply a supplier of something in that chain to being the coordinator or the advisor and uh I suppose the big, the biggest challenge that we've seen in community pharmacy around that is transitioning the the, the remuneration model away from the uh, the supply because ultimately it seems to be where the money is focused, which is purely on supply. Um, all of these other services, which often have been cross subsidised by that, um, are being deleted or removed um, in order for some of our colleagues to you know keep their heads above water. Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, we've seen it coming for a long time and and have 
all community pharmacies recognise this this change and position themselves and and re-examined just their 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 value offer to consumers. I don't believe so. I mean, I listen to a lot of the experts around um, uh, pharmacy businesses at pharmacy conferences and in pharmacy journals and. There certainly is uh, a lot of recalcitrant pharmacists that are still holding on to the old model where uh, the majority of the income to the business was through the PBS and with the simplified price disclosure and the uh, large number of generic medicines and the the reduced uh, profit that we make from them, the the imperative to change uh, the offer the value offer from for community pharmacists has never been stronger. So we need to capitalise on that, recognise uh, that the world is changing and that technology and uh, data management is a big part of that change. And uh, we need to be on the front foot uh, to have those systems in the pharmacy to enable us to do it in a proficient and efficient way um, and, and, you know, a lot of the Guild programs are very good from what I've seen. Um, I don't use them, so I can't sort of yeah. discuss it at that level. But they're there, but they are, as you said, they're in silos. And we need to start having integrated software um, that will build that, the, the whole story and use that at every point of contact with the patient. And in the sixth agreement, there's talk of um, uh, further trials and the pharmacy trial program around minor ailments, around screening and monitoring. And if we're going to move in in a serious way into those activities, uh, we need to have uh, the the software that enables um, uh, that patient record uh, and an integrated with their dispensing history as well. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's 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 a big challenge that we we need to be looking at, and I, I guess as, as we often refer to on the show that you know sometimes the the solution to our problems sometimes exists outside of our you know direct four walls or within the industry, and you know I guess when we observe what our healthcare colleagues are doing um, to solve the problem, not only for them as well in terms of being able to access the right information at the right time, and whether that's coming from you know direct patient clinical data or even the latest research articles and development that's available and uh, you know as it was estimated as uh, as I shared with you before we uh, hit record um, from one of the uh, books I've been reading around the second machine age that um, IBM's Watson um, which has been deployed um, in now into the healthcare and medical space and will probably become the world's uh, best uh, diagnostician from an artificial intelligence point of view we're starting to see that you know Technology is going to have to work in partnership with healthcare practitioners in order to provide the best outcomes for patients and the right timely information. Because otherwise, if we simply, you know, sidelined that, you know, as it was shown, doctors would need having up to 160 hours a week to keep up to date. So to coordinate it all, we are going to need to, you know, find those smarter ways of working. Absolutely. I mean, but the thing that will never get rid of and always need is the health provider's expertise, their wisdom. They talk about the the pathway, so data and then 
once you pull all those words together, that becomes information. When you understand it, that becomes knowledge. But the next step, which is wisdom, only comes through using that knowledge, which can either be the clinical knowledge or the patient knowledge, but using that knowledge uh, to make the right choices, the right options, and have the conversation with the patient so that they can make informed decisions. And that only comes through experience. So all of these, uh, the IT, the technology, the apps, you know, amazing things that are being uh, created every day, they're just tools that we need to use smartly to enable us to provide the care to the patient. Mm-hmm. And, and and that's exact, exactly it that, you know, ultimately what all of that's going to do and as as it's well known that, you know, we're getting to an age now where so much is in a, in a position to be aided by technology that what can be automated will be automated. Exactly. And uh, what's left for pharmacy at the end of that and, you know, we then need to get back to our roots of, you know, what community pharmacy did look like before brands, before manufacturers, before all of these other influencing things. It came down to really strong skills of listening you know, problem solving and and communicating the right information at the right time. And sure, our brains have evolved and we've got our second brains now with all this technology that we can plug into it. But, uh, you know, we're going to really have to embrace that patient-facing role if, if we're going to be sustainable. Yep, I totally agree. And uh, whilst I do believe that graduates uh, coming out of university now have a wealth of knowledge um, I don't. I think the missing step is the communication. So understanding uh, all the concepts like shared decision making, patient centred care, uh, minimally disruptive medicine, health behaviour change, motivational interviewing, health beliefs models, and that that underpins. And while people might not know all the jargon or the titles. Those skills are what I believe needs to be embedded at uh, an undergraduate level, but also um, as part of our CPD and lifelong learning that we do um, as pharmacists, no matter where you work. Uh, and it, it just, and to me, that's why I love being a pharmacist, is having that conversation with the patient. And in particular, the, what I get out, the professional satisfaction from home medicines reviews is spending an hour with the patient in their home or it could and should be uh, where the patient wants it. So it could be in the pharmacy, it could be in a GP surgery, uh, could be I've done some in an RSL um, because that's where the patient wanted to have the conversation. So that to me is where we should be trying to drive a lot of these services. And yes, you don't need a one hour conversation with the patient every time you're talking with them. But when it is appropriate, we should have the services and the appropriate remuneration for it, but also the record of what happened. And that needs to be used by the community pharmacy for the five or 10 minute brief intervention that they may have uh, in a community pharmacy or perhaps a longer um, sit down in the community pharmacy, like through a meds check or whatever uh, um, programs evolve in the sixth agreement uh, funding. 
And I think, as you said there, the key there is, you know, in collaboration and where a patient wants to have that conversation. I think for, for too long, we've forced patients into coming into a physical pharmacy at a physical time uh, to work with our systems and how much time we have available to the point where we probably force the conversation into a patient making sure that we can satisfy our uh, legal and compliance obligations um, and not really doing much more because we try to get that transaction uh, processed as quickly as possible and uh, you know for us to inject the listening aspect and the collaboration to even allow patients to be able be feeling comfortable to bring in articles that they might be reading I think too too many times we see uh, Dr Google as a threat but in reality <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a really big friend to us because I think if we've got patients that have wanted to go to the trouble of researching that it's our role to guide them in that rather than shutting them down down and saying no you have to listen to what I'm telling you yeah that's exactly right I mean that's where our knowledge and our experience can help put it into context for the patient there's an awful lot of rubbish on the internet and and tv programs and and so forth so helping the patient and I think community pharmacy has a real role as the sort of health coach so that we can be the point of contact. We know it's highly accessible and that's valued by consumers. Um, and they can just walk into any pharmacy, anywhere, anytime, and have a conversation with the pharmacist. But I think I don't think we're capitalising on that uh, aspect and being innovative. One of my favourite books at the moment that I read and refer to from time to time is called Blue Ocean Strategy. And it talks about, and I think that's it's very applicable to the dynamics of community pharmacy and some of the uh, conversations that are happening with the medical organisations, for example, around immuni pharmacist immunisation. So the Blue Ocean Strategy says that you should be not um, fighting in the red oceans, you know, the blood in the red ocean over the one, one piece of fish um, we should be looking for the, the clear blue oceans where nobody is doing anything at this point in time. So we can fill the gaps in the healthcare system and there are plenty of gaps in the healthcare mm. system. And that's why I do believe, I don't like the term minor ailments, I think somebody needs to come up with something else But um, and I haven't thought of uh, a better term. But uh, there are gaps there and... Uh, there are lots of statistics of patients going to accident emergency or going to GPs um, when uh, pharmacists in a community pharmacy could very well take a good history, identify that, um, yes, it is a so-called minor ailment uh, and provide appropriate care and probably a product, but also know when to refer that the patient should go see their GP or in an emergency uh, go to a hospital for further assessment. So instead of fighting over who does immunisation, I do believe pharmacists should be able to do immunisation, but I think it's a fight that's clouding um, the progress uh, and the changes that are occurring in the healthcare system and where a pharmacist fits into that whole uh, continuum of care.
And I guess it's it's working, it's because we're working in silo from our medical counterparts, um, much the same way as we've been talking about the data, and that sits in silo as well. And uh, if the, our medical colleagues were aware of the vaccination and they were notified of it um, yes. and they were aware of what where that sat in the patient's clinical pathway and that we played a role in it, they played a role in it, um, and it was collaborative, then I think the... the I, I, the attitude may be slightly different, um, but you know, as, as we've been talking about with with, with the uh, with the data, it's uh, it's just about getting us all on one page, sharing information and collaborating. And I guess as we've seen, you know, that's the goal and the aim of uh, the electronic health record, which uh, you know has gone through transformations of itself from being patient controlled <laughs> to now being um, you know an, an opt out system where people literally have to say I don't want it, um, and uh, you know that will obviously increase the uptake but <clears throat> we're just not at that point where you know i guess these philosophies are translating into our systems and um you know and, and that, that brings me to you know a, a big question that i had for, for you debbie was that you know in absence of these systems and through the fact that you do work in the gp clinics and work as a consultant pharmacist as well you know how, how are you navigating um our our siloed data to make sense of it for you and you know, to make better clinical decisions for the patients you're working with? Yep, uh, it's a good question. I mean, in a GP surgery, I have full access um, because I'm part of the surgery, part of the team, bound by confidentiality um, uh, to the patient records. I, When I'm doing a home medicine review, I do still communicate with the patient's usual community pharmacy if they do have one. And... Uh, to get that information, that dispensing history, which can be valuable because we know patients not only go to multiple GPs, multiple medical specialists, but also sometimes multiple pharmacies. So we're not having a complete picture. And the picture, the records that the the GP has very often don't include uh, over-the-counter drugs as well as complementary medicines, which we know can have both uh, positive and detrimental impacts on the prescription medicines and therefore their health. So, you know, we have got these things in isolation. Some community pharmacies are reluctant to give it that information to me. Um, I do have the patient's consent to access that information. Um, but others, I work, uh, I still do HMRs for a couple of pharmacies and obviously have access to uh, that information. But it's not doesn't come out as a nice list. It comes out as the dispensing history, the transaction history. So I have to look back over six to 12 months uh, at the time frames of when the drugs were dispensed by that pharmacy and then work out is, and that gives me some idea of the patient's adherence, their compliance. So have they got their scripts on a monthly basis if that's appropriate? So that's another, that's another sort of 10, 15 minutes work. Whereas this, if the software printed out that information in a, uh, uh, a time uh, hierarchical basis, so it's a chronological basis, mm. that would be helpful. And I don't know how a community pharmacist, when they're dispensing, do they do that assessment? Do they look back and, and see when the person last had that drug? Mm. 
And if it was two months when it should have been one month ago, do they then have a conversation with the patient around their compliance? And one of my uh, therapeutic areas that I'm very interested in is asthma and COPD. And again, we've had a wealth of evidence of uh, uh, poor compliance um, for patients. The number of patients only getting their preventer, asthma preventers, once a year, for example, is just extreme. So even from a business point of view, and a lot of the Guild programs have uh, articulated this and that is what driving the uptake and the usage by community pharmacists is to say if patients actually take their medicines, they're going to be, from a business point of view, um, uh, you're, you're going to be uh, dispensing more medicines and therefore uh, a greater return on your investment. But uh, and adherence is the, you know, the, just the tip of the iceberg and uh, we really should be doing a lot more uh, services and care, and, but that has to be enabled by software that effectively and efficiently provides that information at a, you know, a click of a button or the next screen or a pop-up that identifies mm. uh, that the patient does have potentially poor compliance. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting when you think about the uh, you know what um, our systems enable us to do as far as aiding better decisions and you know in community pharmacies we'll often see in some of the programs a last dispense date uh, which may relate you know and sometimes you know where patients may be on multiple strengths and doses I know that I've seen in previous years things like you know where you, a patient might be prescribed twenty milligrams of fluoxetine and a forty milligram one at the same time and so therefore you're not seeing the last dispense state for a for the actual medicine itself it's just for that particular strength so that doesn't often help you and you then you might have different pop-ups that have come up through those siloed systems like your guild care for example which might say this patient qualifies for this program or this yep. patient meets the meets the mm-hmm. uh, criteria for an hmr or a um a dose administration aid or even the uh, the one that's probably the most frustrating is when you get those drug interaction uh, pop-ups which are often not kept up to date and uh, often sometimes you know shape the wrong uh, wrong decisions and the uh, the wrong outcomes um, so it, it's all fairly fragmented <laughs> yeah yes uh, there's certainly a lot of work to be done I mean I think uh, but there's so much opportunity and so much more community pharmacists can contribute to patient care and I think your example of drug interactions is a classic one and I know the same happens with GPS with their software that we become quite inured to those pop-ups of drug interactions. Is it clinically significant? Is it um, clinically significant in that patient that's in front of you? Yeah, obviously software can't determine that. That is just a prompt uh, and a tool. And then we then need to use our knowledge to uh, delve further and have further conversation with the patient. And and it isn't up to date. And, you know, one of my favourite... Drug interactions is the moment that I think has uh, just um, uh, been changed in the current APF is the awareness that atenolol, which is a very um, uh, up there in the top 20 dispensed drugs, the uh, interaction it has with apple juice. 
how many people take their atenolol in the morning and perhaps a, a glass of apple juice uh, with their breakfast. Mm. Uh, it reduces the efficacy of the drug by 80%. <laughs> so it's not going to cause harm, as in uh, a lot of drug interactions increase in uh, the toxicity or the side effects. But you're taking a drug with a glass of apple, just one glass of apple juice, and it reduces it down. It's like taking a fifth of the drug. So patients aren't going to get the benefits out of uh, that beta blocker, uh, which may be prescribed of the blood pressure or for angina or the cardiovascular disease, um, simply because we haven't uh, made the patient aware uh, by putting perhaps putting a little sticker, but it doesn't specifically say apple juice on the uh, cautionary label. We need to have that knowledge uh, to have that conversation with the patient. Yeah, well, I guess if it's good enough for grapefruit juice and statins, it should be uh, good enough for a tenolol uh, for another uh, coloured cautionary advisory label. And, and I guess that's even another aspect as well that, uh, you know, our system should be smart enough to basically print the CNA labels alongside the dispense label as opposed to then needing you to go and pick them off individually and stick them on. And it's, it, it's it, it, again, it, I think we're coming back to this theme of, uh, you know, silence load information and you know perhaps we don't have the tools integrated with our systems around drug food interactions and drug condition interactions and it's fairly limited to those drug drug interactions and you know like what you, you know, that example with um, IBM's Watson for doctors in getting all of the latest research pulled to make smart decisions we need something that pulls all of that latest research and information into a, a decision making platform for, for pharmacists and you know knowledgeable more knowledgeable pharmacists like yourself um, might already have that but you know your typical community pharmacy that you know I guess is more involved in a transactional consultation with patients may not be you know keeping up to date with I guess you know where the latest research may be sitting yep and uh, I think that's and if you compare it with GP software for example they have a lot of decision support tools which are embedded into it so you can have a sidebar so that information does end up being a crowded screen so you do need large uh, monitors mm. but um, you can have a sidebar which has that information and if you click on a new drug for example um, it will have the information, uh, for example, NPS radar, which is information, uh, short, concise information on a new drug. Yep. And that is, you know, a critical time, both from a, a efficacy point of view, but as well also an adherence point of view. If we can provide that information to a patient and not just a CMI, which tends to focus on the potential side effects, so the, the risk of harm from the drug, rather than highlighting the chance of benefit. What are the benefits of this drug? And we know if patients understand the benefits uh, from a drug and uh, have the side effects or the risks of harms in context, they're more likely to be adherent and persistent, meaning taking the drugs for the period of time that it's intended, uh, if they have that information, if they're armed with that information. And nobody can keep all of this information in their head. 
um, especially drug interactions, mm. uh, but, you know, information around new drugs. And as we head towards uh, more and more biologics, there's such complicated drugs. Um, we need to have that quick, concise information that's been uh, uh, developed by people far smarter than you and I that mm. understand the literature but have the capacity to put it into context in a nice, concise little chunk of information that we can then use to uh, uh, provide either directly to the patient or to have that conversation with the patient. So we've got to get a lot smarter as more and more drugs, uh, especially these biologics, come to the market and that we have personalised medicine. You know, pharmacogenomics are going to transform uh, this, that we can also be recording their gene profile. Mm. So we know that 30% of the popula Asian population, for example, are cytochrome P450 2D6 deficient. And in those people, over-the-counter codeine does not work. Yeah. So they might be keep you know, increasing the dose, they just don't metabolise it to the active ingredient, which is morphine. So that information is just gold and we're not cap capturing it and uh, we're not having those decision support tools um, embedded uh, and integrated into the uh, dispensing software. Yeah, and, and I guess, you know, for a lot of our listeners today will be thinking, you know, look, this is all nice things to be moving towards, but, you know, it's not something that I think anyone's really paying attention to. And I think this is where, you know, I often draw some of our, our best, uh, you know, next steps in Australian pharmacy from where things are sitting overseas. And we've spoken in, in a number of episodes on the show around what Walgreens and CVS have been doing about investing yep. in digital health. And, you know, they've only announced that CVS will be in partnership with IBM's Watson uh, to provide that uh, pr better predictive analytics for the patients um, from their pharmacy chains. And I think they've got about 8,000 stores in the US um, to be able to provide those better, uh, I guess, understandings of all of those different data touch points. And I imagine they will be trying to, you know, collaborate with as many sources in terms of healthcare industry partners, as well as what they're capturing in store um, as you know, particularly in the US, starts to shift away from that fee-for-service medicine model to a value-based um, reimbursement model where, uh, you know, you're getting paid on outcomes rather than uh, just on, you know, the time that you've spent. Yep, yep. I mean, we've got uh, government reform uh, discussion papers and reports out at the moment. Uh, the white paper on the Constitution is looking at different models of remuneration for healthcare providers. So are they blended payments, fees-for-service, outcome-based uh, uh, remuneration? And, you know, we've got the primary health ne networks or PHNs um, uh, just starting from 1st of July this year. Where does, where does community pharmacy sit with PHNs? I think it's a huge opportunity um, to join up the healthcare providers um, and, and pharmacists and individuals should be looking to uh, participate and perhaps be on those PHN boards and advisory councils. Um, uh, they, they'll identify uh, the gaps in the health system and community pharmacy can step up and, and fill a lot of those gaps uh, if they do it smartly and enabled by uh, technology and data. 
Yeah, well, you know, that's certainly something that you know escalates. I think, uh, you know, it's a, it's a fairly, you know, I guess damning statistic on pharmacy at the moment where we're seeing this large proliferation of all of these uh, digitally connected wearable uh, health devices that mm-hmm. are now available through every major department store in, in Australia and uh, not through pharmacy. There, yeah. and, and, and I suppose there's a sideline to that. There are a couple. Um, we have had um, Craig Simmons from iHealth on the show, but no, in nowhere no way shape or form the same as you see these large aisles dedicated to wellness related devices and what it's doing is probably as far as as far as i see giving us that free kick whereby all of these patients are now going to be collecting all of this new data about themselves but they're not going to be able to go back to harvey norman or the good guys to find out what it all means they're going to need to go somewhere and again it's just such a fantastic point for pharmacy to sit if we can grab that data and translate it into that wisdom as we've been talking about. So yeah. we've got to start, you know, start feeling our way through the data and getting better outcomes and insights from it um, if we're going to stay relevant. Otherwise, I'm sure, you know, as you mentioned earlier, as, you know, pharmacists, you know, sitting as that health coach, um, someone else may actually step into that space. Um, you know, we've quite often seen a lot of our advice and triage, you know, shift from, you know, having pharmacists on the end um, of the phone to nurse on call Um, so if we don't you know grab that opportunity I'm sure there'll be another group that will but I guess to to bring it back to our our listeners of where they are at the moment in terms of what tools they might be thinking about right now in terms of okay I recognize that I need to you know be able to make better clinical decisions in my pharmacy using the data Um, what would you recommend as far as tools and you know might even be non-technology techniques that you've used um, to for pharmacists to be looking at you know in the absence of all this innovation we're talking about to you know enable some better decisions in their pharmacies today Oh, a big question. Um, I think you have to have, and we're bound by the pharmacy board, to have a core set of uh, clinical resources. Do do people use them every day? Probably not. Um, you need to know your population. So if you have a population um, that has a high incidence, for example, of diabetes or asthma and COPD, you know, having those resources and having iPads. I use an iPad a lot uh, when I go to a person's home. I have a lot of information and, and video, you know, the asthma device um, downloaded so I don't always have good signal in some people's homes or, or, nor um, uh, Wi-Fi access. So having those downloaded and having your uh, library of resources that you can readily uh, show to a patient as part of the conversation you're having. I think we need resources like um, MIMS and AMH and OSDI and so forth, but also you know their, their uh, capacity to keep up to date is limited to some degree. So real-time resources, and I declare I'm a director of NPS medicine-wise, but the wealth of information both for uh, health professionals and con- as well as consumers on their website is just extraordinary. So having those videos, you can have them showing uh, in the in the waiting area in the pharmacy on the TV rather than 
or perhaps as well as advertising the specials in your pharmacy, you can also have some uh, information that will be valuable to, uh, to the patients or consumers in your pharmacy. Um, I think the value, uh, right at the start, I said our distinctive competency as a health provider is our knowledge around drugs. And we don't value that as much as we should. So CPD, yes, it's mandatory and we still have a lot of pharmacists that just go along to CPD to get their points just to meet their quota. But we should be uh, far in excess of that. And as I said, nobody knows everything about everything. Uh, perhaps you want to specialise or have individual pharmacists within the pharmacy have a good working knowledge of diabetes or wound care or asthma or whatever uh, therapeutic area you might be interested in. So that real-time information is valuable um, as well as uh, social media. Um, it's only in the last 12 months or so that I've really uh, appreciated the, the value of Twitter, for example, mm. not to follow favourite pop star or, or movie star, <laughs> but at, at a level of communicating uh, at a clinical level with people around the world. And I've got people that I've made contact uh, with famous people that have written articles and, you know, uh, um, that you can then easily communicate with them and that you create these little networks where um, uh, one concept that I mentioned earlier was minimally disruptive medicine and the um, U.S., uh, endocrinologist that has evolved that is a, is a guy called Professor Victor Montori and I tweet with him every day and he shares that information and experiences and similarly LinkedIn and the other social medias uh, are very valuable I mean they're time wasters <laughs> sometimes but uh, if, if they are used wisely and uh, effect, uh, efficiently uh, they can provide that really quick day-to-day -day breaking news information and that's what the world is seeing and that's what consumers are seeing um, so to keep on top of or try to get, nobody can but try to keep on top of uh, the wealth of information and the shifting um, uh, evidence around some issues you know we've seen the impact and probably ne negative impact of TV shows that talk about, for example, statins and overestimated the harms and underplayed the benefits and the impact that had. Um, and it's just been quantified the number of heart attacks that occurred because of that mis misinformation from the TV program uh, that have occurred over the last two years since yeah. it went to air. So. And pharmacists, and I know community pharmacists were overwhelmed with consumers coming in saying, hey, does this mean I should stop taking my statin? Um, so, you know, we just have such a role to play in healthcare and in particular around quality use of medicines. And community pharmacy is the most, is the best place for that to happen.
Yeah, and I guess that solidifies our, our new role as that trusted advisor in that, you know, where mass confusion develops, whether it be through, you know, typical media channels or whether it be through social media, um, you know, Google doesn't filter what is credible and what isn't. Oh, and, uh, right. you know, that's a great position for us to be known for doing and for enabling those conversations and being known that this is a place you can have that conversation and not a place where you just simply come to pick up something that your doctors uh, told you to come and get and uh, yeah that's all part of our, I guess our, cha- our, our changing role. Debbie it's been absolutely brilliant having you on the show today I know that our, our listeners will take a lot out of our, our chat about particularly where you know data sits right now and you know probably haven't thought about you know all of the different things in their business that they could be taking advantage of it is very difficult to uh, make best use of it but uh, no doubt if we uh, keep pushing forward and uh, keep pushing the architects of these systems uh, you know into uh, you know enabling that transformation in our businesses then uh, it's going to uh, enable a very sustainable pharmacist role moving forward. So we look forward to following your journey and inviting you back in the not-too-distant future. Okay, thanks very much. Thanks, Debbie. Well, as we can appreciate, the transaction economy is dying, if not already dead, in community pharmacy. And to transition into this new world of the wisdom economy, which positions pharmacists as a trusted advisor and coordinator of primary health care, we need smart tools and decision-making tools to enable us to make that transition. And there's no bigger thing than data. As we discussed today with Debbie, there is so much data available to us, we are drowning in it. It's very invisible to us. We don't utilize it much. We don't use it for the right reasons. And certainly, we probably don't have the tools just at the moment to be able to maximize our usage of them. My three key learnings, well, we need better decision-making tools. As Debbie spoke about, the GPs have a leg up on us. They've got these smart sidebars that sit alongside their GP clinical software that's enabled them to get tailored clinical insights into a particular patient's medication, clinical condition to be able to enable them to personalize the treatment paradigms for them. And it's something that we need. As we can see at a global level, CVS have deployed Watson, which is the world's smartest artificial intelligence agent for being able to process mountains of information to be able to predictively analyze patients to give the right clinical information to not only GPs and medical uh, practitioners, but also now pharmacists as well, as they're going to be able to pull in all of these different data sets as we spoke about, even the newer things, the wearable technology and the internet of everything and how that's going to relate to some wearable and perhaps even ingestible devices as we move along as well. Number two is we need to collect and collate resources that are relevant to our patient demographic. As we can appreciate, what we're talking about here in all of the different data points and being able to use smart technology tools, we have a long way to go before that's enabled in our pharmacies right now. But we need things that are going to make enable us to make smarter clinical decisions right at the moment. And Debbie was able to share with us quite a number of those resources as well and related to not only our staple clinical references that we have in our pharmacies, but also productivity tools that will enable us to do it in a uh, in a smarter, more efficient manner. And so it might be that your demographic is very, very um, heavily engaged in chronic conditions like 
asthma, diabetes, that you do have specialist resources and perhaps even qualifications amongst your pharmacist team, if not yourself. But you may also utilize productivity tools. So things like iPads, which have video instruction videos ready without having to download from the internet that are just ready to stream straight away. And as, as we've spoken about on the show, even one of our greatest productivity tools, which we often don't utilize in the pharmacy, is LastPass. And that will enable you to reduce the amount of time it takes for you to log into all of these clinical resources when you're dealing with a patient and when you're having that conversation. You don't have to wait that extra 20, 30 seconds to look up the password, type it in and get access to the information. So we need to be thinking about that process. The other big change at the moment and challenge that we have is the time economy. And we don't have a lot of time. We're being forced to do more with less. And to be able to do that, as we've discussed on the show, we need to look at our dispensary workflow. What can we do to make that more efficient? Some things can be automated. Some things can be delegated to a lower value team member so that you might use a technician to utilize all of those jobs that pharmacists should never be doing to enable you to have that high value conversation with the patient. But you need to be doing everything that's not only time efficient, but very beneficial to the patient in that you enable them to have a proper conversation with you where you can listen closely and solve their problems. And the third one is collaboration is the key. In working together in harmony with our GPs, and we're not talking about all sitting down, holding hands, singing kumbaya, but we're talking about what we can do that assists each other, as opposed to trying to take something away from them and not giving them access to what we're doing. You know, Perhaps that's how we're looking at vaccination at the moment. How can we involve the GPs in that clinical pathway? How are we going to share that information? Can we let them know when they're having the vaccine? nations when those pilots and certainly it becomes more formalized over the next few years happens how can we keep them involved in that so that we continue that communication and collaboration and that's clearly going to be the key in enabling the patient uh, electronic health record to work and certainly we're not quite there yet where we're able to write a whole lot of data but the other thing is we need to be documenting better as Debbie shared with us, there are so many conversations, so many interactions we have with our patients that we don't document. So we don't know what we recommended that patient last time. We don't know what was discussed. And it's, I, I wager because we don't have the time. So we need to enable the tools. So I'd love to put that back onto you as to what tools you were using to um, document the, this information. I know a lot of us use different tools like even Word documents when we've got medication management clients where we document some of the interactions or um, conversations we've had with nursing home staff and so forth and some of the medication management programs. But how do you do that and how do you make it more efficient and workable for you? It's a great goal that we need to be all be pushing towards, but in the absence of the software innovation, we always need to find a better way. And that brings us to our transformation motivational quote of the week, which comes from Socrates, which is, the secret to change is to focus all of your energy, not on fighting the old, but on building the new. Absolutely love that one. I only picked that one up this afternoon following along Mayo in Oz on Twitter, uh, which is hashtag Mayo in Oz. And it was the Mayo Clinic coming down under to spearhead the world's first social media and healthcare summit. Absolutely brilliant. So many learnings that you pick up just from following that hashtag. 
fantastic speakers. I may share with you some of the things I learned in an upcoming episode as well. Next week, we've got a fantastic interview coming your way with Roger Simpson, who is the CEO of The Retail Solution, and he's Australia's number one authority on customer return on investment in the retail industry. I know you'll love it. We're going to be talking about how pharmacies can attract and retain high-performance employees. It really builds on top from where we were talking with Tristan last week about the importance of building and embracing and maintaining a great culture in our businesses. It's about getting the right people to really make it happen. We just simply can't do it alone. If you've enjoyed this week's episode, leave a comment in the show notes. I read and respond to every single one of them. And our guests like Debbie today are only too happy to respond to your questions individually as well. Have a great week, everyone, and I look forward to speaking with you again next week. Bye for now.